As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today... Man City take the championship, the championship takes Fulham and Arsenal's first win at the bridge in a decade keeps the top four race alive as long as you're listening to this before Liverpool's trip to Old Trafford on Thursday. We look ahead to a big weekend for Chelsea, the FA Cup final with Leicester and the Champions League final with Barcelona with the women's team in one and Werner in the other which will feature more misses. We'll also hear from Leicester as they enjoy a fine late season crumble and we'll discover the identity of our second finalist in the Inter-Totally Cup. It's all on the way in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. And hello listener, it's May the 13th for us, Thursday morning, and on board today's Totally it's an exciting lineup with uh, Michael Cox. Hello, Michael. Hi, James. Lovely to see Dom Fifield with us as well. Hello, James. And Duncan Alexander. Hello, James. Hello, Duncan. Early question for you. Q mm. at CASB says, any substance to the rumours Derby getting a points deduction and Wickham staying up instead? What is this, Duncan? Well, I'm not sure they're rumours. It's more conjecture as... Uh... So Derby have lost their appeal, or the Football League rather have won their appeal against Derby protesting the original crime. Um, And it's all now about when they apply the sanction. So the the difficulty is that the Sheffield Wednesday obviously were deducted 12 points this season and then reduced to six. Now Derby's offence took place at the same time. So so theoretically it should be applied to this season. But the offence was an accountancy thing, yes? Yeah. Yeah, um, sort of, you know, creative accountancy. This gold all... frame is worth forty right. million. So yeah, you know that sort of thing. So, right. um, but obviously Wickham, uh, having spent nearly the whole season in twenty fourth, jumped up to twenty second with a few minutes to go on the final mm. day. Um, Your own Aguero could... moment could be in store. Well, as someone pointed out, we went up last season thanks to PPG. We could be staying up thanks to. FFP. I don't, I'm not sure what other acronyms we can use next season to, to get promoted to the Premier League, but we should should look into it. So, I mean, my feeling at the moment is that 
the 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 sanction will be will probably come next season so Wickham won't survive but there's still a chance and I mean if you think about it Wickham's budget for the entire season is probably less than a couple of one derby player so you know in, in kind of financial uh moral terms then I think Wickham Wickham probably should get another crack your your entire budget is less than the value of the sofa in Derby's new owner's living room from what I can see on his TikTok account Yes. Well, it's not his TikTok, is it? So no. Uh, what seems what are you have... going to tell me now? Well, the the new owner put up. There's been rumours about whether he has the financial uh, backing and strength that he purports to, and he put up a a picture of a flash house, um, and then immediately people spotted that it was also on a kind of here's a flash house TikTok account. So yeah, a bit strange. <laughs> It is a bit unusual. Eric Alonso, Derby's prospective new owner. Well, more no doubt to come from, from that story. And of course, this extraordinary waiting that, that, that Wickham now have to do to know about their future must be so difficult for you. At least there have been some exciting midweek games to take your mind off it in the meantime. Significant ones as well. Monday saw Fulham lose 2-0 at home to Burnley, which confirmed the Cottagers in the final relegation spot, uh, followed by a raw Open post-game Scott Parker interview, of course. Tuesday saw Saints beating Palace 3-1. The return of Danny Ings there. And also that day, a 2-1 victory for Leicester at Man United, which saw Leicester all but wrap up their top four spot and confirm Man City as champions. Wednesday, meanwhile, the other top four spot opened up a little bit again, thanks to Jorginho's no-look pass and Arsenal's surprise win at Chelsea which leaves Chelsea now uh, six points clear of West Ham, who have one game in hand, and seven points clear of Liverpool, who have two games in hand. Liverpool, of course, will be playing one of those Thursday night at Old Trafford. If they win that, it does get very interesting. We'll discuss the top four race and all that later on. Aston Villa also in action against Everton on Thursday night. Let's kind of begin, though, with a bit of a verbal guard of honour for a team that wasn't playing, Manchester City confirmed as champions for the third time in four seasons in honour of this incredible comeback title victory. It's not been mentioned much, but they're all the way down in 13th, etc. What's What's been your favourite, your most treasured thing about this campaign from Man City? Dom? <laughs> treasured. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing, I mean, I was thinking about this last night. The, 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 the afternoon where I sort of thought, wow, they are just going to win this now. They're going to they're going to steamroll all the rest. Was when they came to Stamford Bridge in the first week of January, um, in one of the Frank Lampard's last games. Probably the nail in Frank Lampard's coffin at, at Chelsea as well. They scored twice in two minutes, but it was the third goal really. It was and it was it was the way Kevin De Bruyne effectively assisted Raheem Sterling. I mean, he should have done. It shouldn't have been. Should have been an assist with a header from the edge of his own penalty area that put Sterling completely free and alone beyond N'Golo Conte into the into the Chelsea half and okay Sterling then gets forced wide and he doesn't he doesn't pick a pass he has a shot and he hits the post but it's De Bruyne who's made the run from deep to pick up the loose ball and put it in and it was just it was just the manner in which they completely wiped the floor with with Chelsea that day and and you know a team that had just gone on a a 14 match unbeaten run or whatever it was in the middle of the season and and who had done so well in the Champions League group stage, were just made to look like idiots that day. I mean, City were just a class apart. And 
that was one of the early games in what proved to be God. Was it twenty-one in a row or something daft? They just they just won every every week, and and it just sort of showed the gulf of class. Um, amazing, amazing team, um, and uh, yeah, thoroughly deserved title. All right, an amazing kind of bipolar season that they've been having. Duncan, what's your what's your standout thought about City? Yeah, I mean to sort of echo Dom a bit. I mean, I think the this season has been very much around performing away from home and I think City uh, you know if they win their next away game they've set a new all-time top flight record for consecutive away wins and you know United are about to set a an unbeaten uh, Premier League away season and I think we kind of expected this would happen but it was the way that they didn't panic um, in the autumn I mean you know everyone does this but everyone it is hard to remember, but Liverpool won seven nil at Palace, and they were top. Sorry, Dom, and they were top, what and everyone was. Up? Why does that? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but uh, and everyone pretty much said, "Well, that's you know, Liverpool. It's not a classic season, and Liverpool don't look as strong as last season, but they should wrap it up." Mm. Um, and then that run of consecutive wins that City put together, which um, you know, obviously surpassed the one the fake one that they had where they included a draw against Wolves in the Coca in the Coca-Cola Cup in the League Cup for a few <laughs> years back. And uh you know that it it was that consistency and I don't think we we expected that from them this season. Um and I think, you know, the way they set up with with kind of playing a little bit deeper and, and sort of relying a bit more on you know, Ruben Diaz and John Stones to to kind of form a sort of old school centre half partnership, which again wasn't something we we really saw uh, before. And you know, the, the fact that Guardiola has finally built a new team at a club which he'd never done before, um, and I think that's pretty ominous for the rest of the league because you know he's kind of built this new side that looks like it could dominate for the next few years. So um, mm. it's been a real kind of uh, triumph from adversity. City, I think. They do look ominously good. The one thing that I think this season has been another illustration of is that things that seem permanent can often prove far from it. Michael, what, what's been your, your takeaway from it all? What would you like to salute? My most memorable game is probably the 4-1 win at Anfield. I know Liverpool aren't the force of last year, but I think winning convincingly away at the reigning champions is always quite a symbolic win. But I think realistically, I mean, the defining moment of the campaign hasn't come yet. It will come down to the Champions League final. If they win the European Cup, that's what we'll remember it for. And if they don't win the European Cup, they'll be in this, maybe embarrassing is the wrong word, but this slightly awkward situation of of being league champions by miles and yet not fulfilling their major objective for the season and losing to a side who finished a few places below them in the league. So, yeah, I'll wait till the end of the month before I uh, completely have a defining moment for their campaign. All right, we'll get back to you on that. In the meantime, they are the first team in Premier League history to win the title after being as low as eighth in the table on Christmas Day. This season, of course, got underway a little bit later, so that skewed things a little bit. Pep Guardiola, meantime, has won the league title in nine of his 12 seasons as a manager. Uh, Three at Barca, three at Bayern, and this is now his third at City. Remarkable. Well, Man City aren't involved in the FA Cup final, but Chelsea and Leicester are. We'll be counting down to that. Looking back at some of the midweek action next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Chelsea against Leicester in the 140th FA Cup final this Saturday at 5.15. For Leicester, it'll be their fifth appearance in the big game. Their first, though, since the summer of 69. No team has reached the final so often without actually winning this trophy. Chelsea have won it. Uh, This is their... 
fourth final appearance in five years. Of course, they got beaten in their last one last summer by Arsenal, which, curiously enough, what happened to them midweek as well. Uh, are you looking forward to the game, Michael? Yeah, I am, actually. I really like the FA Cup. I think there's been a, a few good finals in recent years, and I think this is the kind of final you want, where there's two good teams, there's a favourite, there's a bit of an underdog, who I think if they won it, obviously it would mean so much to them because they've never won it before. It's not like a Chelsea-Arsenal situation where it becomes one of many. Um, and they're, they're, they're both good teams to watch. I can I usually go into FA Cup finals thinking, ah, oh, this could be a bit cagey, but I just think this will be a really interesting game. And also, as I, I think I've said before in this podcast, but we shouldn't take it for granted that we've got the FA Cup done this year. I mean, the, the period where the the proper non-league sides were required for the FA Cup was coincidentally the only time in the last 14 months where they'd been playing. So I had my doubts that we would get an FA Cup final in May this year. I thought it might have to be delayed, as, for example, the women's one has. But uh, we've got through it, and that's a great thing. Brilliant. Yeah, one game to go. The underdogs you mentioned there, presumably that's Chelsea's, who are below Leicester <laughs> in the table after after Chelsea's midweek defeat to Arsenal. Don, what happened there? Well, they weren't very good in either box, so they didn't really deserve anything other than the 1-0 home defeat. I mean, that they were gifted the goal, uh, Arsenal, but but Chelsea created enough chances and um, to, to have won it. They hit the, the crossbar twice and then the second half. Uh, I thought Tuchel's post-match was, was really honest and refreshing, um, accepting blame, seven changes, a lot of disruption in terms of rhythm. A lot of players that he picked were probably rusty when they came in, but they also didn't seize the opportunity they'd been given to... Yeah, to, to to warrant mention in terms of inclusion for the two cup finals they have to come. Um, and it just looked like one game too far, really. Maybe they were a bit distracted. But look, it's a it's a great win for Arsenal. I love, I love the fact that it's the first time Arsenal have beaten Chelsea home and away in a season since they're invincible because the contrast between these two Arsenal teams could not be starker. Um, Nature is healing. <laughs> indeed. But it's yeah, fair play. It was a great, a great win for Arsenal, and it's just maybe just a little nudge to Chelsea that although things have been going very, very well, that they're not in a position yet where they can rest on their laurels. They don't have a natural goal scorer. They don't have a number nine who's going to get them twenty goals a season. They haven't even got a player that's got double figures. I don't think in, in this season. Um, so if if they don't take the chances that come their way, they won't have. They won't win matches. They won't win right. their games. And, and those are big two cup finals coming up. They, they've got to be more ruthless than they were last night. Was Sammy uh, tweeting in with this question, do you think Chelsea's result last night highlights their need for a better quality focal point? There have been those saying that bringing in a classic centre-forward would disrupt the delicate mechanisms that Tuchel's been uh, perfecting. What's your take on this? I think it's quite good timing for Chelsea to lose that game. Obviously, if it turns out they then miss out on the top four and then lose the Champions League final, then... It won't be, but it is quite a good reminder for them ahead of two massive cup finals that, you know, that they're not just this defensive super machine. I mean, for me, there's been 999 own goals in Premier League history and look how close we came to Jorginho scoring possibly one of the best ever <laughs> to make it a thousand. That's the heritage we almost saw last night. Um, I take slight exception. I mean, it was a big win for Arsenal, but they... They didn't play that well. I mean, I think you replay that game and Chelsea win it most times. I mean, Chelsea, uh, Arsenal only had nine touches inside the opposition penalty box, which is their lowest in a win recorded in 
Premier League history. So it was, and as we've discussed, the goal was very much uh, a Chelsea mistake. But um, I think it's good for the league as a whole because it really does set up the uh, the top four race. I mean, we're recording this ahead of the United uh, Liverpool game, obviously, which could could change things. But it is now back in Liverpool's hands. You know, they win their last four games and they are uh, in the top four. But hang on, Liverpool are seven points back with two games in hand. So if they win those two, they'll still be a point behind Chelsea. But Chelsea and Leicester play each other. So unless there's an extraordinary point-sharing scenario, that one of them will drop points there. So right. it's it's a tough ask for Liverpool. But you know, I think if it's all they can hope for, really, you know, back in their hands. So absolutely, I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, it was a crazy error from Jorginho, but. Arsenal were trying to press high uh, and they were getting four men around the ball. I mean, I think it was El Nenny was pressuring Jorginho. Jorginho looked over his shoulder and the passing option wasn't there for uh, because Aubameyang was in the way. And Arsenal have got a few goals since Arteta took over from that kind of pressing and forcing mistakes high up the pitch. And obviously you don't expect someone to nearly hoof it in their own goal from 30 yards, but you wouldn't get Tottenham under Mourinho getting that kind of lucky break because they were sitting back in their own third. So the, the entire idea of pressing is to, to force errors from the opposition inside their own third. And this was just an extreme example of that. Mm. And their lack of touches in the Chelsea box was down to the fact that post that goal, they were hanging on to what they had. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with Dung that they barely created anything aside from mm. a decent move for a, a Bellerin chance. But it's dependent on the, the situation in the game, isn't it? I thought they actually defended quite well deep. I mean, that's not something we associate with Arsenal doing very well, but don't think Chelsea had that many clear goal-scoring opportunities. Yeah, it felt like... I remember last season when Arsenal, towards the end, and they won the FA Cup, they had a few sort of performances like this, and it felt quite quite similar to that. And I actually thought, watching the game, if someone had woken up, having been asleep for 20 years, and, and you showed them that game... The number of times both teams just passed it around in their own penalty box under pressure, that's so different to, to 20 years ago. And if you hadn't seen that develop, people would be astounded at how football changed. It really was. That's certainly what would strike somebody about who'd just woken up from 20 years <laughs> ago. About the world yeah. <laughs> but they're yeah. passing well, more. <laughs> well, no fans at Sanford Bridge. Yeah, that makes a change. <laughs> Uh, Daniel's story pointing out, and this I think gobsmacks anybody whether you've been asleep or not, over the last 25 league games, Arsenal and Chelsea have taken exactly the same number of points. My brain says Daniel cannot compute how this can be the case. It is a troubling one, that. It's astonishing. I mean, I haven't checked his numbers, but he's Daniel's story. So, anyway. <laughs> is this not is this not just the case of Arsenal? Every time Arsenal lose, it's a huge event. And when they you know, get a perfunctory win against Burnley or someone, it, it just sort of no one really notices. So, I mean, yeah, I know what he means, but Possibly, you can't yeah. outrun maths. Well, one big difference between those two clubs <laughs> is is the fact that Chelsea do have those two massive finals, the Champions League at the end of this month and the FA Cup final with Leicester this weekend. And, of course, another final coming up this week as well, this weekend, the Women's Champions League. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But Leicester, in contrast to Chelsea, arrive at Saturday evening's game buoyed by their midweek result, a 2-1 victory at Man United, their first win at Old Trafford since January 1998, which is before four of the United starting 11 had been born. Crikey. It is a result that bleh, does a lot to confirm their Champions League place, although Duncan's throwing fresh 
fresh doubt on that. Uh, but it's still not a bad position for a team that we had been discussing crumbling once again. Seasoned Fox watcher Joe Bruin from 442 joins us now. Joe, thanks for joining us. Quite a quite an end of season, quite an end of season crumble that, that Leicester are having then. First win at Old Trafford for 23 years. Top four place looking good and an FA Cup final. Crikey. Yeah, it kind of sums up what it's like supporting Leicester City. I mean, it kind of hit home the other week when uh, we saw poor Southend getting relegated to the National League when it was sort of only 2009 when we were when we were winning the League One title at Roots Hall uh, and playing the likes of Hereford and Stockport, who are obviously now in non-league with them. And um, yet, yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I wasn't actually expecting to be in this position. <laughs> As you can imagine, right. it's been 52 years since we last got to an FA Cup final. So I've obviously never seen it in my lifetime. Um, but yeah, you, you learn to expect kind of anything with Leicester. Mm. Well, even after the, the, the South End, uh, that South End game six years ago, you're battling to stay up in the Premier League and looking, looking pretty much in danger of, of dropping out of the division. Since then, you've won the title. You're set for a second season in the Champions League. And this weekend, you could win your first ever FA Cup. How big would that be? It would be huge, no doubt about that. Um, the, the, you know, there's the, the constant debate about what the FA Cup means to fans. But you know, for a club like Leicester... Um, it means it means the world. I mean, I think if you if you offered fans now the chance, you know, if it's FA Cup or Champions League, if you had to make that hypothetical decision, most of them would would definitely pick the FA Cup. Um, you know, having ne- never got close to this point before, um, knocked out once by by Duncan's fair team uh, in the early noughties, as I'm sure he would like to to remind <laughs> us all. Yeah, we just haven't got to this position before. Um, you know, actually, as a Leicester fan, I've I've actually never been to Wembley for a final. Um, the, the new Wembley, anyway. We went to the 2000 League Cup final. Um, but since then, we've only played there uh, for the Community Shield final and for against Tottenham in a league game, which doesn't really count. So it does mean a lot, uh, despite the fact that we're obviously only going to have about 6,000 of our fans there. Mm. Still, I mean, that, that, that's, that's great to finally get some supporters in there for the big game. Uh, the midweek win came after a, a pretty worrying set of results. The defeat to Newcastle, the failure to beat 10-man Southampton. What, what was the difference then away to Man United? Was it Ollie's team selection? And how, how big a part? What do you want to tell us about the extraordinary young Luke Thomas? Yes, yeah, so there's no doubt that Man United handed us a gift with that team selection. Um, but after Friday night against Newcastle, I think we absolutely needed it because... There's definitely some some worries creeping in. Uh, I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk about Leicester uh, bottling it like they did last season, but this this season was was not like last year. I mean, that that was a proper collapse last year with with only one team for competition. Um, we let Man United in, um, and it kind of felt inevitable from about February March onwards um, before lockdown. This year's been a little bit different in that there's been far more competition uh, for that. But the the way that we went four 0 down at home to Newcastle did just point to a side that smacked of uh, a lack of confidence uh, at the crucial moment. So going to Old Trafford, getting that win, um, I'm not going to say it's going to secure top four, but it's it's definitely a huge step towards doing that. Uh, it was great to see Luke Thomas obviously score that, that worldy, uh, if you could call it a worldy, I'll do. Uh, local lad, as, as we've got a few in the team, with Harvey Barnes as well. Um, and he's and he's done. He, he's actually struggled a little bit this season when he's when he's coming at times. But there's definitely something about him, and it's not easy to step into a team when you've had James Justin playing so well for most of the season. 
it's actually he's been a massive, massive loss for us. So for for Luke to get that goal was was superb for him. Yeah, he took it so confidently. I mean, even to make the shout, presumably for Jamie Vardy to leave it. And then finish what was by no means an easy shot so confidently, remarkable. Yeah, I mean, the ironic thing is that, that Luke Thomas is probably more likely to score than Jamie Vardy at the moment, which is the, the sad thing. But yeah, it, like you say, it, just, it does just point to the confidence that, that, he's, that he's got right now. Um, it, says, it says a lot for the way he's come back into the team. I mean, we, we, we got beat at home by Arsenal uh, a couple of months ago and he had a really torrid game, um, got booked, got dragged off actually. Um, so the way he's just come and slotted in, um, replacing Ben Chilwell, you know, pretty seamlessly at, at, at sometimes. Um, you know, it's it's really nice to see that from from a Leicester fan's perspective. Excellent. All right. Well, a great preparation for Saturday's game. Nobody, as I mentioned before, has been to more FA Cup finals without winning than the Foxes. What do you reckon on your chances this time against Chelsea? Covidiot writing in saying, in what ways and areas can Leicester hurt Chelsea on Saturday, Joe? Well, actually, one of our best performances of the season was against Chelsea at home. Um, I mean, it was a time when Chelsea's confidence was was low. And um, it might have, from memory, it might have been the game uh, just before Frank Lampard got sacked, actually. Um, it, yeah, so, th- you know, they're, they're not the Chelsea that they are now. Uh, but, you know, with this Leicester team, you know, if they're on it, uh, Johnny Evans looks like he's going to be back as well, which is a, oh. another big boost. That's the hope, anyway. Uh, it's still, still a bit touch and go, I think. You know, Chelsea are the favourites. Don't get me wrong, but I think as a Leicester fan, you, you always know that you're capable of, of doing something in a game. All right, all right, me duck. Best of luck on Saturday, then, Joe. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Joe Bruin. You often hear the expression "trouble is my middle name." With him, I imagine that's particularly. Um... Redland. So, Michael, you've given us your thoughts on, on Chelsea being the favourites and, and that for this. Dom, Duncan, what, what, what's your take? I think the way that, that, that Tuchel has prepared his, his teams for game-specific occasions which with build-up, I think he probably, that they would be favourites um, if they... I don't think they'll be making the same mistakes that Frank Lampard's team made that night, for example, at uh, the King Power when they were outclassed and James Madison gave the, the masterclass. So I would I would fancy Chelsea to recover from their setback in midweek um, in a, in a game that they yeah that they know they have to win really and, and to claim that first silverware of Tuchel's tenure. But there will be a threat. I mean, there is a lot of quality in that Leicester team. Iheanacho is a player reborn. Tielemans is excellent on the quiet almost um, and Didi's ticking again and if Johnny Evans is back to help stabilise their back line then they'll be more resilient than they have been of late so I think it'll be a really really good really good occasion Yeah I, Michael said earlier that he you know it feels like a really well set up cup final and I think it is you know obviously we've only had two non big six teams win the cup since 1995 Portsmouth um, and Wigan um, and then we've had recent cup finals like Watford getting being six nil by City, which wasn't really much fun for anyone apart from Kevin De Bruyne. So I think hopefully it's a pretty close game. I mean, everyone knows Leicester have got this this record of never having won the FA Cup, having been to four finals. They're the only teams who've won the league and not have won the FA Cup before. So it really does feel like it. It's a good time, and also Jamie Vardy, as Joe mentioned, you know, in in the olden days where the build up to Cup final would have started at ten with the coaches leaving and Saint and Greaves mm. and all that stuff. The, the story of Jamie Vardy, a man who I saw knock Wickham out of the FA Cup when he was playing for non-league Fleetwood at the time, you know, playing in a cup final would have been a, 
really romantic, huge thing. I, don't, I think that will be relatively underplayed this week. But um, Jamie Vardy scoring a FA Cup final winning goal, I think, would be quite a nice little little story f- covering the sort of last decade of football, really. I remember the cup final build up for features like cooking with Robbie Savage. Do you remember? Do you remember that one, James? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I just have this memory of you about eight years yeah, ago doing some. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. Thing in the kitchen, which just really <laughs> something in the me. kitchen with Robbie Savage and some whipped cream. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, laughs ensued. Laughs ensued, which may or may not involve my head. Yeah, that was, I mean, when you say, when you when you look back with that kind of nostalgic air to when the build-up began at 10 in the morning, etc., my God, there was some time to fill. And the features you get mm-hmm. in there, and the case in point. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, much better now that we jump in 15 minutes before. There's your team, bosh, off you go. <laughs> um, especially because, you know, they, here they are in the FA Cup final, but they're going to meet all over again on Tuesday in what could be an absolutely huge game as well for top four places, especially with that new information, Duncan, about them, you know, that's the game you were talking about earlier. Is the FA Cup final address rehearsal for the league game? Is that how it works? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Possibly, yeah. All right, well, 5.15 anyway, the first of this interesting series between Leicester and Chelsea. Uh, we'll look ahead to the weekend's Premier League fixtures in a bit, but next up, let's talk about Sunday's other big cup final, which is Chelsea against Barcelona in the Women's Champions League in Gothenburg. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the question sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your four-fold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, minards 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Well, it's a big month of May for Chelsea. They've got FA Cup Saturday, the Champions League in uh, Porto at the end of the month, and this Sunday in Gothenburg, the Women's Champions League final. Katie Wyatt joins us now. Hello, Katie. Are you okay? I'm very well, thank you. How are you as you build up to a match you've described as the finest women's Super League team ever assembled against all-conquering Barcelona? Um, yeah, it's really exciting. I feel like I'm becoming a bit of the Emma Hayes correspondent at the moment because um, there's obviously such a big focus on everything that she's achieved and she's built at Chelsea, and rightfully so, because they're just a phenomenal team and her management style is really, really unique and she deserves all the plaudits that she's getting. But I think on the game itself, it's just such an exciting time for... You know, I've been covering women's football for a few years in the national media now and this is the first time that I've seen an English team in the Champions League. But for those who have followed the game for a lot longer than I have, they've been waiting 
2007 was the last time it wasn't even called the Champions League then so it's been a very very long wait but it will be a very close final I anticipate with two as that you said in that quote there two really really fine teams going up against each other. Chelsea I think made everybody around Europe sit up and take notice with their second leg against Bayern and then just last weekend blew Reading away to wrap up the WSL title. Can we expect more of that kind of free scoring uh, play in Gothenburg? Um, I think it depends really on whether Barcelona could find a way to um, stop Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby um, because they're obviously, as we know, and has been very well documented, the two jewels in Chelsea's crown. And what I thought was interesting was I was at the Barcelona press conference yesterday and asked Lika Martins, who is in turn the jewel in their crown and their um, Euros winner and World Cup finalist. And I said, how are you going to stop Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby? And she was saying that with the style of football that they play, obviously Barcelona teams dominate the ball. And when you do that, it's a very good defensive strategy. And she sort of said... Um, well, let's see how they do if they don't have the ball, um, which I thought was a very interesting um, sentiment. And I think it's certainly going to be one of the closest finals. I think in recent years we've seen Lyon just dominate them and win the finals 3 or 4 nil, which isn't a great spectacle. But this year I think it will just be so close with the enormously... Um, attacking talents that Chelsea have but then Barcelona have scored almost twice as many league goals as Chelsea have so um, both of them are really really free scoring teams so it would be interesting to see how they um, cancel out each other's threats but they're two very good stubborn defensive teams that haven't conceded a lot this season so it's very much um, the same strengths against the same strengths but in terms of their playing style they're executed in a very different way so um, it's quite a lot to go out and quite a lot to look at and I think it will make for a really interesting tactical battle. Oh brilliant. Excitingly, Sunday we'll also see a new Women's Champions League anthem unveiled, amongst other things, by UEFA in their big revamp of the competition. Um, I think that's actually coming on Monday, but it's part of um, a spate of reforms that UEFA are introducing that I think are just really exciting and probably particularly timely given the avenue that the European Super League wanted to take women's football down in an idea that, as was a lot of people were saying, didn't seem very well thought out. But um, the way that the UEFA have kind of restructured the Champions League is at €24 million Euros in prize money, um, massive increase on prize money and what you can currently get. I think the winning teams, because it's accrued cumulatively based on how many um, games you win and where you start and everything like that, it's currently €390,000 and that's going to go to over a million um, for next year. So... That's a huge development as well as all of the solidarity payments that um, teams are going to get to clubs that are not competing in the um, the league so that they can build a little bit as well. So it's a huge redesign of the competition that really is going to help women's football across Europe step up a level. But obviously that needs to be matched by the investment in clubs. They can't just be reliant on these grants and these handouts to bankroll their women's teams. They very much need to step on board, but that's a really fabulous incentive for them to do that, I think. Oh, absolutely. It is remarkable how every year it seems that, that there's another kind of massive shift of the of the paradigm, a massive leap forward in terms of the size and structure of, of the women's game, even in the middle mm. of a year like this one that's been so difficult. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really key point to make that I remember last year when the pandemic was kicking off that there was so much uncertainty in every industry because ultimately no one's ever had to deal with anything like this in our lifetime, but particularly for women's football because historically it's always been the first things to be cut when clubs have been relegated or clubs have had financial team because 
Um, it's a lot of clubs don't see it as a key arm of their business. They don't see it as profitable. They don't view it as legitimate. So there are lots of reasons why it's always been very, very vulnerable. I think there are a lot of reasons why it still is vulnerable. I think the story that came out about Birmingham City and their training facilities this week, some of the noises coming out of Manchester United after Casey Stoney's resignation this week, there were reminders that even with the new TV deal and all the new broadcast deal and finances, there are still... Um, lots of ways that the women's game needs a lot more help and support and infrastructure building but there is so much going on that certainly gives you hope that from a commercial perspective women's football has really really come along in the last few years brilliant all right we're looking forward to sunday's showpiece final and uh, do you want to call it for us uh, I'm going to have to say Chelsea aren't because I'm an English <laughs> I was thinking about this right. the other day because I was um, talking to someone and I was saying oh uh, do you remember when you were a kid and you used to go to Spain and everybody used to be running around in Barcelona shirts and you used to ask your parents for one and they just wouldn't buy you one even not even like a cheap £10 one off the market um, so when it was I was thinking about it the other day and I was like oh who would I be rooting for if I was a neutral but I think you've got to vote for root for Chelsea you know we've been covering them all year and I've seen the project that Emma Hayes has built there and there's, there's that my heart is very much saying that it will be Chelsea's year. All right that sounds like a traumatic trip to Spain back in, in the day. Though, but, uh... <laughs> Did your parents buy you Barcelona kits off the market or were they too stubborn in Yorkshire like mine were? I got one. Did you get one Duncan? Yeah but it fits me now, and I got it when I was, like, 13. So God knows what my mum was doing in terms of you'll grow into this. It's pushing the boundaries. So, But it's actually quite good now because it's from back in the day. So Yeah, Yeah, nice. Casey, brilliant. Well, listen, have a great time on Sunday and speak to you soon. Thanks. Katie Wyatt. Dom, how big would it be for Chelsea to do a men's, women's 1-2? I mean, it'd be un- unprecedented, no? Absolutely unprecedented. So huge, and and also I think testament to the the amount of resources that the club have poured into the women's game. Um, that uh, that complex at Cobham is is something else. Mm. Um, on on whether it be first team men's, the academy, and, and now the women's the women's side as well. It's it's an incredible an incredible facility, and uh, yeah, the, the, a trophy to for for Emma Hayes would be uh, like that would be um, would be tremendous. Yeah, I think from a British perspective, everyone's watched a lot of Chelsea this year and, and knows how good they are. But I mean, Barcelona come into the, the, the final as really strong favourites. I mean, they they absolutely blew away Manchester City, who were only a couple of uh, points behind Chelsea in the WSL this year. And I must say, I hadn't seen a lot of Barcelona. I've done watch them domestically. But in the Champions League, they've been exceptional. And I think a lot of people who are watching them for the first time will be amazed at how good the, the quality passing is in midfield. Uh, they've got a player, Aitana Bonmati, who's just a brilliant deep-lying playmaker. Alexia Puteas is a, I guess, brilliant Iniesta-type player who takes the game to the opposition. I think the, the two ways that Chelsea can probably win the game is, one, Barcelona are not good at defending set-pieces, and Chelsea have scored two pretty good goals from set-pieces in uh, the game against Bayern and then the opener against Reading. And second, Barcelona, one of their centre-backs, Andrea Pereira, who I think has played pretty much every Champions League game this season, is suspended. I think it's really harsh to be suspended for the Champions League final for two yellows, but she's out, and I'm not sure they have a real obvious centre back replacement. So they might be moving one of the full backs inside or two dropping yellows. a holding midfielder in. Yeah, in separate games, you know, like accumulation. But whereas in the men's Champions League, obviously you don't have that anymore. I think there's a cut off after the after Nedved. Yeah, that yeah that was the best example, wasn't it? 
But um, yeah, that's a, that's a big issue for Barcelona. So I think I think Barcelona will dominate the game, but Chelsea on the break and with set pieces, I think have got a chance of an upset. But it would be an upset. I think I think Chelsea are bigger underdogs for this than they are for the um, men's Champions League final. Personally, interesting. All right, the men's Champions League final coming up on the 29th of May. But as we now understand, it is in Portugal. Uh, the logic of moving it from Istanbul because English fans can't travel there, but still not having it in UK anyway. I'm a little bit sketchy on that. There there were questions over how much of the quarantine waivers that UEFA were requesting for all the staff coming in to stage the event at, say, Wembley, which apparently won't be such an issue in Portugal. But it does seem weird if you're moving it. Why don't you just move it to the UK still? Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but I also think if it had been played at an English ground, it would have just, as we said last week, it would have felt a little bit like a, a League Cup or an FA Cup final. So at right. least if it's abroad, it's got yep. that bit of Euro glamour to it. So Nice. OK, still to come, we've got the ooh, second semi-final in our intertotally. Uh, but next up, we'll have a little rummage through the weekend's dregs of the Premier League and see what they have to offer. Keep listening for Julien Laurent versus Benji Lanyardo in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And we apologise for any bad language you may hear. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. It's the 13th of May, listener, still. And, of course, on this day, nine years ago, this. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! Crikey. As you know, it's the only time the Premier League title has ever been decided on goal difference and it is just about the best finish to a league ever. Uh, it never gets old, that, really. Duncan, you did something on this recently where where you were breaking it down over at the Premier League. Yeah, it was more Leon Osman than me, but it, oh, it's the first time I've seen this goal because on the day it was just like, wow, this is an incredible thing. Um, I'd never seen it get the proper sort of you know analysis treatment and and Leon picked out a few good points. Just before the goal is scored, the, the move starts from QPR having a throw-in uh, in, in City's own half. And they could have gone down the line, and that would have probably just eaten up a few more seconds. They they throw it in inside and immediately lose it, which then launches the attack. And the other right. thing I hadn't really noticed before is the, the Balotelli. Obviously, everyone knows that famously that was his only assist in the Premier League. If you actually look at it really closely... I think he's trying to pass to David Silva, and it, it kind of slightly doesn't go the way he intended, and just falls, he sort of falls over. Yeah, yeah, but he kind of, as he does, he sees Silva, and he kind of tries to hook it, but it ends up going to Aguero. And it, I hadn't really ever thought about how much Aguero is absolutely clattered as he just as he hits the ball. I mean, he, City would have definitely got a penalty if he hadn't have scored that goal. Mm. I think that's the thing that's, you know, maybe that would have been even more dramatic. 
because as he hits it, the the defender basically just goes straight through through his standing leg. Um, and he actually grim as he scores, he's grimacing because because of, of the pain. But then you know that falls away pretty quickly. But um, yeah, I mean it is the the most seminal moment of the Premier League, if not English top flight history. Well, you got the Jacko goal just before this City, who'd be needing two goals as as the as the ninety minutes finished to to wrest the title back from Man United. QPR, meanwhile, battling for their top-flight survival. So much to enjoy in this game. Balotelli's only Premier League's assist ever. Joe Hart setting that record for the most throw-ins taken by a Premier League goalkeeper. Roberto Mancini setting a record for the number of times saying f*** you to every City player you <laughs> see. And also... A Joey Joe Barton. Barton. Joey yeah. Barton, who I felt was unfairly treated there because the number of swings that Aguero has at him before he gives him the Barton elbow. Anyway, you know, there's good people on both sides. Uh, but yes, <laughs> it never gets old, that game. Unlikely to see anything settled on goal difference this season, perhaps. We've got City confirmed as champions. Sheffield United, West Brom and Fulham are down. So the one remaining question is, who's going to get the top four races behind Man United and Man City? After the midweek action, as we mentioned before, Chelsea six points clear of West Ham and seven from Liverpool. West Ham have one game in hand. Liverpool have two. Liverpool are in action this evening. Then Sunday at West Brom, who are unbeaten, by the way, the Baggies, in their last four meetings with Liverpool. And then they finish off with Burnley away and Crystal Palace at home. That, I mean, on paper, you'd take that. West Ham are at Brighton on Saturday evening, who are now, of course, certain of staying up. And then they're away at West Brom and then they finish at home to Southampton. As for Chelsea, they've got Leicester on Tuesday and then away at Aston Villa. Are Chelsea going to do it? I suspect they will. Uh, I, the, the sense of, there's a sense of panic, I think, amongst certain elements of their support this morning in the wake of that defeat to Arsenal. And I'm not sure the panic is really justified. I mean, it, we're basically saying that it, the biggest threat appears to come from Liverpool, who would have to string together four wins on the bounce at the end of the season. And they really haven't shown that level of consistency since very early on in their title defence. Maybe they'll be spurred on by by an unlikely and unexpected opportunity, but I really don't see it myself. Um, so I, I suspect that Chelsea, if they need to pick a strong team at Aston Villa on the final day, they'll do that and they should have enough to get through. We saw how seriously Manchester United are going to take tonight's game by the team they yeah. put out against uh, against Leicester. And, uh, you know, there were some Liverpool fans saying... This is a disgrace, and it you know it goes against the sporting blah blah blah. But forgetting maybe we saw Fulham go down this week, and in two thousand and seven, Liverpool rested their entire Premier League team against Fulham, which allowed Laurie Sanchez's unlikely survival campaign to succeed. So, it, you know, every team does it from now from time to time, and it's just one of those things that you get late on in the season and. It, you know, if they're that worried about it, win more games earlier in the campaign, really. So. That's very sound <laughs> advice, yeah. We'll see what happens Thursday night. <laughs> I mean, they were trying. I don't know. For a few weeks, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that then in Monday's show, once we know what on earth happened this weekend. Elsewhere, Spurs and Wolves this Sunday will have a key game in that race for the Europa League conference place. Uh, Everton and Sheffield United might have some bearing on that. What else? You've got Crystal Palace, Dom, taking on Aston Villa midweek. Palace got beaten 3-1 by Southampton. You opened the scoring, though, with a fine goal from Christian Benteke. Yeah. Okay. The race for <laughs> I mean, 13th is very much on. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, look, to be honest, there there is a for Palace fans that there is a significance to the last couple of home games, not least because I think it's very very likely, ninety nine percent likely that that Wednesday's visit of Arsenal will be Roy Hodgson's last game in charge at Crystal Palace at home. And you'd like to think that the club might offer some kind of clarity to the supporters ahead of that fixture to allow them to give him a proper send-off. Mm. I mean, there has been frustration amongst a certain element of the of the fan base over the style of football over the last couple of years. And I think the disconnect with games behind closed doors has probably exacerbated that. But, um, yeah, I'd like to think that... that he is showing a proper appreciation for everything he's done. He's the only manager in Palace's history to have kept the team in the division for four years and a bounce, all, always in comfortable mid-table as well. Um, and he deserves he deserves a, a night of celebration and, and respect on Wednesday. OK, when when you'll have fans back at Sohas Park as well? Six and a half thousand there, yeah. OK, brilliant. What, who, well, I was going to say, what would you like to see? Uh, what, like a little present carriage clock or something like that, or and who would you who would you like to see on the sideline for Palace next week, next season? Sorry, or next week if you're that, you know. Harry. <laughs> well, it's a shame that he goes out at Liverpool, isn't it? Um, of all places, but <laughs> but um, not if he wins. Not if he wins, no true. <laughs> so it's a shame that he goes out at Liverpool, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the, um, what would I like to see? Uh, look, if I Actually, deep down, I'd probably like to see him there for another year, but that's really? not going to happen. I, I don't think yeah, that would put you in quite a minority of Palace fans. Yeah, I think right? it would, but I think I'm, I'm one of the, I'm slightly warier of the uh, the level, the amount of change that might be instigated this summer, given right. the number of players that are also out of contract. I just, I just wonder why why you'd want to also change the management. Um, but it is an opportunity for them. They, they they consider it very much an opportunity. So if 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 it is going to be a change. I'd probably say get something that's a younger model that won't make radical changes on the playing style necessarily and allows a bit of evolution there. Uh, I'd probably go for Sean Dyche. It is good the fans will be back for for Roy's potential last game. And 6,500 sounds quite low, but then it also occurred to me that's more than twice as many as were there at Southhouse Park for Wimbledon Everton in the the official lowest attendance of a Premier League game. So it'll be all right. Amidst all the changes, the important thing presumably is to hang on to Christian Benteke, who's now notched up a whopping eight Premier League goals this season. He has, Duncan, am I right in saying, more Premier League goals than Eric Cantona and Andriy Shevchenko put together. How is this possible? Um, longevity, I think, is the, uh, is right. the word. But I mean, yeah, he, was, he was really good for three years at Villa. I think people forget that like, he was... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Liverpool paid thirty-two million pounds for him at a time when thirty-two million pounds was a lot of money, and people yeah. weren't laughing at that the way they laughed at uh, Andy Carroll for a similar amount of money. I mean, he was a, a serious player. But it's interesting that I think that the two players in recent Premier League history who've had the longest spell of going out of form are Luke Shaw and Christian Benteke, and both Shaw more than Benteke, I guess, but both have kind of started to come back to a, a good level this season and you know often players don't get that gift of that long for being out of form before they, it's you know moved on to a low division or elsewhere but it is I think both of them have, have plugged away and are, are getting you know credit for for doing that. Well maybe they're the type of player I mean when matches were played behind closed doors there was a lot of articles saying you know there's some players who might thrive behind closed doors I mean Benteke someone who you know I'm sure has got a bit of stick from his own fans at times. Has probably appreciated the the 
lack of fans may be sure as well. So that's interesting. Also this weekend, Saints taking on Fulham, who of course were sent down by that 2-0 defeat at home to Burnley at the weekend. Burnley surviving despite a terrible start to their campaign. They only took two points from the first seven games, but that all seems a long time ago now. Danny Ings back for Saints, who of course were on the other end of that 3-1 scoreline against Palace midweek. Looking good, no? I thought the first goal was just exceptional. I mean, to, yeah. in a way, it's one of those where I almost feel like it's... It, Goals like that should be a contender for goal of the month. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so just, there's just, lots just, of... Just describe so he, it, Michael. Redmond went down the left, crossed the ball. Not a very convertible opportunity, not a very presentable opportunity. And Ings' first touch was good. And then he got to the loose, kind of loose ball quicker than anyone else. And then just put it perfectly in the corner past the goalkeeper. And I just think sometimes, you know, we marvel at... 25-yard strikes that go in the top corner when the ball's kind of sitting up nicely for a player coming onto it. But I think a lot of players could score goals like that. I don't think many strikers could do what Danny Ings did in that situation. He just creates... He turns quarter chances into goals mm. with, with you know, pretty regularly. He doesn't look, does he? He doesn't look at all at the goal. He knows yeah. exactly where it is and there's no backlift whatsoever. Brilliant. You look at it first time, you think, well, there's no way that's going in and it's just perfect in the corner. There's no way Gaita can save it. What did you make of Mason Greenwood's similarly nestling in the corner effort against uh, Leicester midweek? I thought I thought that was exceptional, and he scored almost the reverse goal. I think in the previous game, hadn't he? Where he hit it with his left foot into the bottom right corner as he's looking at it, and this one it was with his right foot across the goalkeeper. I mean, he had a spell of form, a spell of poor form earlier this season uh, in terms of goals. But when you looked at his shots, he was hitting the woodwork so much. And I think he just really seems to go for the corners, for almost the inside of the post. And when he gets it in, it's, it's so precise. I mean, I thought that there's been a couple of goals he's scored where it's really obvious the defender doesn't know which way to show him because he's so good with yeah. both feet. And I think I think that's an underrated aspect of being two-footed. I'd say the same about Mane, who I know hasn't had a great season, but he's so good at spinning. And it's partly because defenders have no idea which way to show him, but... Green was great, and, and he seems to me the, the most likely beneficiary of the 26-man Euro squad, because I'm not sure he was going to get in. But now, with the number of... I didn't, don't think... I just think because Southgate is so intent on playing three and four at the back at different stages, he's going to take, he was going to take one too many defenders and probably leave out an attacker. And I think him and Saka probably were going to get the cut. But now it's 26. I think you load up on attacking options and he's about three attacking options in one combined Greenwood. Yeah. So I think he's. I think he'll go now, yeah. I think it's also interesting with, with players like Greenwood and Ings that you can now analyse stuff like where they put the ball and, and how re- reliable they are at doing that much better than you used to be able to. And I think, you know, obviously Ings has been linked with a move back to a big club this summer, and then, which I always think is quite a sort of Serie A sort of thing, where a player's at a big club, then goes to a smaller club, does well, and then goes back to to another big club. But, you know, City, I think he would be a perfect signing for someone like Man City, who who aren't going to play the kind of, you know, strikerless role in, in a game, say, their annual 8-0 win against Watford, whereas Ings would, you know, happily snap up, you know, five or six goals in a match like that. So, yeah, I mean, Southampton would obviously love to keep him, but I I think he is he's going to be a very in-demand player this summer. I, th- I think that role's really interesting, isn't it, where a side needs a striker, but they don't want to, don't necessarily want to spend £100 million on a player who you then have to start week in, week out. Another player I think could do a, a decent job as a plan B for someone like Arsenal is, is Mitrovic, who 
doesn't fit into a passing style at all and isn't going to be a regular. But I think if if you want to lob the ball to someone with 20 minutes to go, probably only Giroud, I think, would be a, a better super sub in the Premier League than Mitrovic. Benteke's on a free. Yeah. There you go. Just struggling with the notion of Mitrovic at Arsenal. It's not a, a natural... I, th- I think you do. I mean, you wouldn't start many games, but... I think Arsenal, since they lost Giroud, there's so many games where he used to come on and do a job for him. And right. it's, it's a real specialist role, but you look at Mitrovic's scoring record at international level, he scored 42 goals, I think it is, for Serbia. I mean, he, he really knows how to score, but just in certain situations that probably only occur towards the end of games. Mm. All right, well, there'll be a whole summer of this kind of chatter uh, to come as the transfer market gets underway. Before that, though, we have got... A few games left to go and uh, Man City just to round off this weekend's fixtures. Friday, in fact, will be at St. James's Park getting their guard of honour from Newcastle as uh, they run out as title winners for the third time in four seasons, etc. and so on. Quick word for our excellent subscription offer. If you sign up with The Athletic for just £4 a month, you'll get unrivaled coverage on this business end of the season. Uh, all the articles, all the podcasts, ad-free and Q&As with writers. That's all available at theathletic.com slash totally. And now to wrap up today's edition of the Totally Football Show, it is into totally time. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Inter Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy's offers are at full capacity. Get a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold acca lets you down on all football matches and markets. TCC Supply, 18 plus, become aware.org. Inter Totally Time, the second semi final, in fact. Now, last week, drama as Sasha Gurionov ran champion Michael Cox this close, this close. Went to a tie-break, but it was Coxie here who won a place in the final. Today, he and we will find out who he's going to be facing there. Let's meet the contestants. But first, looking to go one step further than his beloved PSG, or at least going out with a little bit more dignity, Zutalo, it's Julien Laurent. Who played along with the drums, listener? I know I did. Jules, so good to have you back with us. Sorry about that Thank slightly you. disrespectful intro there, but but you know, uh, you are six questions away from the final. How do you feel? I feel excited. I feel a bit tense. I have to, you know, to be honest. Those uh, those big games in, yeah. in the history of you know of my career haven't always yeah. been great, but I, I believe this time. Okay, yeah, Lindsay in the first round. Then, of course, the, the tiebreaker with James Horncastle. Real. Epic. Yeah, just so dramatic. Uh, okay, well, if you go through, of course, you'll also pick up, as you know, uh, £10 uh, for the charity of your choice, which Paddy Power will put on a bet of your choice as well. Last time, you 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 had as your wager that Juve would finish outside the top four, which is currently Indeed. looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. What, what's it going to be this time? And, and what's the charity again? So the charity is Dementia UK, again, right. uh, really close to my heart, as you know. And the bet this time is that Atletico Madrid will win La Liga this season. Okay, well, after Barca's result midweek, it's looking that much more likely. What about your progress to the final? How likely is that? Well, let's meet the man you're up against. his opponent it's the underdog story everyone's needed in 2021 but when it comes to quizzes this dog's bite is much worse than his bark Safari's so good Benji Laniado Benji (laughs) yeah Safari's so good that's really good that's really good thanks for coming along thanks for bringing that music as well I needed a bit of a lift at this stage of the podcast uh, what an intertotally it's been for you, you dark horse, you. Yeah, living the dream. I feel like Chesterfield in, in 1997. It's just, yeah. it's just so unexpected and <laughs> um, I'm enjoying myself and I just, I just want the fans to have a good day out today. Right, but I mean, <laughs> Alvaro and then Lang and the birth of a small child and amongst that. God, yeah. Absolutely. And, and with, with Jules as well, European competition, which is, um, as a West Ham fan, it's always the objective. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very excited. I'm very, just happy to be here. OK, well, if you get through this, of course, it is the reigning champion, Michael Cox, in the final. Let's hear about your charity and your wager. It's the Whittington Hospital, um, mm-hmm. where my child was born, and they looked after my wife during a rather tricky run-up to his birth, um, a hospital in Archway. Uh, they're an NHS hospital, but people don't realise that you can donate money to NHS hospitals, and they've all got charitable trusts. Um, so it's not just the taxpayer. Um, and the bet is perhaps not particularly charitable to a, uh, my beloved England football team. It's that it's double chance that Scotland will either win or draw against England in the Euros. Uh, that's my bet. All right. Well, last time you went for an all-English Champions League final, and that one came through, so <laughs> we'll see about this. Right now, though... There's only one question on all of our minds, and that's who's going to make it to the final. Let's get quizzical. Jules, you're up first. Here's question one. Otmar Hitzfeld did it in 1997 and 2001. Jose Mourinho did it in 2004 and 2010. What is it, and who did it in 98 and 2013? It's winning the treble, and you, Pankers, did it. Ooh. Winning the Champions League and Jupankers did it? I mean, you're right about Jupankers. I can't fault you on that. We could give you a half. I don't know. What do you think, Charlie? No halves, says Charlie. No halves. It's winning the Champions League with different clubs. Oh. So close, though, Jules. So close. Uh, question two. Which championship club did Nigel Pearson finish the season as manager of? Birmingham. Nope. Bristol City. Question three. You need this, Jules. Where did Germany's 7-1 humiliation of Brazil in the 2014 World Cup semi-final take place? Uh, In Sao Paulo. No, it's famous for this as well. The, the Minerazo. The, it's Aye. Belo Horizonte. The Minerao is the name of the stadium. All right, Jules, three questions to go. Svenja and Eriksson's last job 
was with which national side? Um, Greece. No, it was the Philippines. Wow. Benji, how are you doing over there? Have you got any of these so far? Yeah, four out of four. Okay. Question five. Samuel Eto played for Inter. And which other team in Serie A? Um, Milan? No, it was Sampdoria. Jules. Here comes question six. Here comes question six. Make this one count. In the Euro 96 semi-final, France lost on penalties to the Czech Republic. Reynald Pedros missed his penalty, but can you name the five players who scored? <laughs> no way. <laughs> nah. Uh, can you name any of them? I would think... Blanc would have scored. That's one. Uh, Zidane. Yes, it's two. I would go for... I mean, it's, it's pure... Apart from Blanc and Zidane, the rest is a pure guess. So I okay. would go for... Maybe someone like Angloma. Did Angloma was on pen? No. No? No. No, I would not But you know. got two of the five. We'll keep that in mind when we get to Benji's equivalent question. So not really sure how to score that, but it's not good. Whatever number you I think put it's on it, Jules. I think it's zero. We can, we can kind of, say it. Kind of zero, unless Benji gets less than two, I think, on his question six. So we'll see. Yeah, Jules. I mean, they were tough questions, no question. I didn't, know any, uh, I didn't know any answers. Literally, right. I, they were all guesses. So Right. Tough okay. friends. Well, let's see. There's always the possibility that Benji might have a similarly awful time and then you can do him <laughs> on a tiebreaker. Let's see. Benji, you ready? Mm-hmm. Let's go. All right, then. Question one. What are Miguel Munoz, Carlo Ancelotti, Pep Guardiola and Zinedine Zidane the only men to achieve? Those names again. Miguel Munoz, Carlo Ancelotti, Pep Guardiola and Zinedine Zidane. They've all done something that nobody else has. Um, have they won the Champions League as a player and manager or European Cup? Charlie can't give it. No, I'm hearing what? that's not enough. That's not enough. Could you be more specific, Benji? <laughs> uh, and they are all male. Men. Well, They're men true, as well. Th- I know, doesn't... I know. Okay, Jules, tell him. With the same club. Exactly. As I say, oh, I meant... Oh, yeah. With the, yeah, okay. Right, okay. That's what I meant. I didn't say it. But, um, yeah, yeah. No you don't get any points for, for that, though, James. No, no <laughs> points for intentions. <laughs> Question two. Which championship club did Mick McCarthy finish this season as manager of? Cardiff. Is correct. Benji Lanyardo. You Whoa, are in the cool. final. Woo! All right, whatever happens from here on in, you got a date with Michael Cox. All righty. Tell you what, let's race through the rest of the questions. Question three. Where did Italy's dramatic semi-final victory over Germany at the 2006 World Cup take place? Um, 
let's say Munich. Let's give you no points for that whatsoever. It was <laughs> at Signal Iduna Park or Westfalen Stadion, Borussia Dortmund's ground. Question four. With which team did Svenja and Eriksson lose a European Cup final? Oh. Good question. Lazio didn't get there. He got famous with Gothenburg. Then he went to Benfica. Did Benfica get to a European Cup? A European, a Champions League final, a European Cup final. European Cup final. Um. Hey, let's just say Benfica. That is correct, Benji. Jules, I know, I know you knew that one. Yeah, I, you know I have to, to say, his well. questions are far easier than mine. Easy. I agree. Yeah, really, really much easier. I mean, Philippines compared to Benfica, there's no, there's not even a debate. Is, is the Parisian losing his sh in yeah. the semi? I'm just <laughs> pointing. <laughs> it's me being sent off. Oh, it's just the season where everything goes West Ham's way, you know. That's the way it is. All right. Uh, question five. Which Serie A club did Nicolas Anelka have a short spell at? Come on. That's way easier than Samuel Eto. I don't think I know the answer. Um, That's a disgrace. <laughs> oh, my God. Jules um, is putting his foot I'm going to go on. to Cass. I don't care. I'm going to go to Cass. As soon as we <laughs> hang up, I'm going to go to Cass. I'm going to guess AC Milan. It was Juventus. Juventus. Yes. And question six. Let's see if you can beat Jules's total of two on this one. England lost on penalties to Germany in the Euro 96 semi-final. Gareth Southgate missed his penalty. Can you name the five players who scored, Benji? Shearer, Stuart Pearce, David Platt. That's three. Yeah, you've got two more to find. Uh, Anderson? No, no. <sighs> it was Gascoigne and Sheringham. Gascoigne, yeah. Gascoigne okay. and Sheringham. Crikey. Listen, I'm giving myself the first question. So that's, that, that's I'm giving myself three outs. So. <laughs> Who makes the rules in this game? I don't understand. What well, was, who's the referee? Is Benji think, the referee? I think we can all agree that two is more than zero. So, uh, Benji, you're going through to take on Michael Cox. Uh, how do you feel about that? Lucky. That was scrappy. I mean, th we've seen some, we've seen some good matchups in this tournament so far. That was not yeah. one of them. Well, um, <laughs> such a bad semi-final. Hey, but Jules, don't worry. There's always there's a third, fourth place playoff, surely you know, and there's and that's really important. And it, and, I, and, I, and you know, that's that's a chance to to really you know show your metal. We haven't actually got one of those in in place, but maybe we should uh, hastily draw up a Sasha v Jules playoff. Uh, if, Jules, would you would you like that? Yeah, a chance we'd to love to. Some yeah, lost dignity. I think oh, that yes. is, that is the final that, that that the public probably wanted. I think okay, Sasha definitely. Sasha is definitely. Sasha's the best the best quizzer in the competition, I think. Well, the statistics say he isn't Benji, but you're right. He did he did get knocked out by an incredibly tense semi-final uh, with Michael Cox. Anyway, Jules, any explanation for your total collapse? <sighs> Some really tough questions I have to say that I didn't know. Far harder than than my opponent. I have to stress that. <laughs> and again, Cass will hear from me. Well done to Benji. I think he deserves it completely and it's been uh, an amazing year for him so far with, you know, West Ham playing crap, but still making it, you know, to fifth place. 
And then, most importantly, <laughs> the baby being born and, and, and healthy and all of that. So I, I wish him the best of luck and I really hope he wins this final. Benji, you've been the big surprise of this competition, first time in the Intertotally Cup, and look at you already in the final. It's the stuff of fairy tales. It's wild. I'd like to thank um, Wikipedia um, <laughs> and uh, Insomnia and, uh, and the combination of the two that right. um, helps you know that Mick McCarthy is the manager of Cardiff. Bingo. Jules, thank you so much. Congratulations for making it this far. Benji, we'll see you in the final. Mazel tov, Benji. You're through to the final of the Intertotally Cup. And if you concur with Benji's hunch that Scotland will win or draw against England at the Euros next month, it's priced at 12 to 5 at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Odds are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. And please, gamble responsibly. Well, there we go, Michael. What did you make of that? Worried? Um, not particularly on the strength of that, no, but um, look forward to Jules atoning for his errors with the third place playoff against uh, Sasha, who I think is probably the most knowledgeable player in the game. That right. should be um, a very tight contest. Well, Jules, Jules felt that his questions were that much harder, as you, as you heard. What did you, what is an impartial panel, what, what did you feel? I think what it shows is that if you're English, you you know penalty shootouts uh, intimately because they right. haunt your every dreams. Whereas if you're France, who win a, a major competition every few years, it doesn't really matter if you lose a penalty shootout, does it? So, all right. Well, even Benji didn't get all five of his. Two points for Benji out of six. Michael, how many points did you get in yours? Was it five or four? No, four all it was. Four. Still, there's a worryingly... John Jensen aspect to Benji, as you pointed out before, and his kind of unexpected race to the final. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying Um, the winds of destiny are behind him. As a neutral, as a a supposed neutral at this point, um, I think the questions for this this semi-final were a lot harder than the, the first semi-final. Just saying. Well, it doesn't matter. We're not the, the two. The two semi-finals. No, I'm not saying it. That's that's as it as it may be. But I just as but a, in terms yeah. of comparing the scores, there's, there's maybe. Yeah, a, I think yeah. yeah there's a handicap of, for the yeah. second one. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. I think we are going to have this third fourth playoff, and I think that'll be next week. And then, of course, the big final, the showdown between the champion and the challenger. Can Michael upset the odds and defeat Benji Lanyardo? All right. That, though, is uh, still to come. For today, we'll wrap up this Totally Football show. Many thanks, Dom, for being with us, and Duncan, and Michael, and producer Charlie. And above all, you, listener, we'll be back Monday morning. So have a great weekend in the meanwhile. And from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.